I just think that if you love something, if you love someone, if you love what you're doing, you're going to find a way to get it done. Everyone's to some extent a product of their own experience. And so for me, it's trying to find relatable experiences um, that gets you in the mindset, gets you in the frame of mind to be able to work with what I call the ignorance of a child. When you're prepared, it gives you confidence. Find that spot outside your comfort zone and pitch a tent. Just stay there. Sit down and stay there and embrace it. You can't be too cool for doing the right thing. You are listening to the Optimal Performance Podcast. The OPP is brought to you by Natural Stacks. Natural Stacks makes 100% natural and open source supplements designed to help you live optimal. For more information on how to build optimal mental and physical performance into your life, Keep listening to the OPP or go visit naturalstacks.com. Ryan Muncie is probably the smartest guy I know. Trust me, Muncie is the nutrition guy. Ryan Muncie's out there trying to make the world better for all of us. The Optimal Performance Podcast is bold, edgy, creative, entertaining, and epic. Ryan Muncie is my go-to guy. Ryan Muncie is the first guy I call. He's making people's lives better. Ryan Muncie's an innovator. All right. Happy Thursday, all you optimizers. Welcome to another episode of the OPP. Thanks for spending a little bit of time with us today. We will introduce our guest to you in just a second. Uh, But first, I want to take just a second to read some reviews from iTunes and give a shout out to a couple of our listeners. Uh, So one note on this, guys, if you have not already done so, please go to iTunes, leave us a five-star review, let us know how much you like the show. If we read your review on the air, Uh, then we will hook you up with a free bottle of whatever Natural Stacks product you want. All right. So uh, this week's review is from John Dixon Jr. And John says, huge fan of the show. Great work, guys. Keep it rolling. Uh, So, John, thanks a lot for taking the time to leave us your feedback. And we will definitely take care of you. All right. And just as a reminder, guys, make sure you head to naturalstacks.com. You'll be able to see the blog post for this episode of the OPP, as well as all of our other episodes. On that blog post, you'll get to see the video, uh, as well as links and resources to any of the studies or articles or any of the things that we talk about. Today's guest is Jacob Gollin, and Jacob was uh, in the spotlight pretty heavily about two years ago for his uh, success in college basketball. So we'll have some links to uh, the articles talking about that. For you guys, if you want to pursue that, if you want to learn more about Jacob, uh, follow what he and his guys are doing now. Uh, We'll have all those links and resources on the show. Uh, One final public service announcement. If you guys enjoy the OPP, please share with your friends and family, anybody you know who would benefit from or enjoy the things that we're doing and talking about here on the show. Uh, So with that said, let's move right into today's episode. Um, I'm going to set the stage for you guys. Uh, so like I said, our guest is Jacob Gollin. Jacob, say hello. Hey guys, how's it going? Uh, so first of all, Jacob, thanks for hanging out with us. Um, I'm going to embarrass you a little bit, uh, <laughs> or make you really, really happy, uh, to relive this moment, uh, glory days, if you will. So, so for, for you guys listening, uh, I'm going to set the stage two years ago. Um, so this, this would have been 2014 in March, uh, Jacob played college basketball for a small school called Mercer. And if you're familiar with college basketball at all, you know that every March, uh, we have March Madness. We have the huge NCAA tournament. Uh, If you are a basketball fan, you may remember that Mercer upset Duke in uh, this tournament two years ago. And Jacob was a huge part of that upset. He scored 20 points, had five rebounds in that game. Um, but the most important thing to me and the thing that stands out to me about his performance was going nine for nine from the free throw line. Um, so if you've never played basketball, basically this is you get to stand on the line with everybody watching all the TV cameras, the entire arena, both teams, and you're just shooting a shot. And, you know, very few people have the focus and, and the skill to be able to go nine for nine or 10 for 10, even in practice, much less on the biggest stage that they'll ever see. And let's face it, playing for Mercer against Duke in March Madness. I mean, that is, that's the epitome of a David versus Goliath uh, scenario. So we're going to talk to Jacob today about all the things that go into performing 
the way you always dreamed of performing in the moment where it matters most. So basically, how do we not choke? How do we do the things that we know we can do and do the things that we want to do uh, under the utmost scrutiny and, and in the brightest of, of bright spotlights? So Jacob, uh, welcome to the show. And uh, are you ready for the spotlight again? Yeah, man, Ryan, I appreciate you having me, man. I've been I've been a listener for a while, and I enjoy uh, uh, all the things that you guys have to offer and what you bring. And so I'm I'm excited to be able to share some of those experiences. I know not everyone gets that opportunity. <laughs> well, so like I said in the intro, um, you were written up in the papers a lot after this. Um, so for you guys listening, uh, right away, uh, there's a Washington Post story that was a really great article on the game. So if you want to read the write up about the game, see the box scores and all that stuff. Um, we'll have the link to that article in the show notes. Go to naturalstacks.com. You'll be able to see that. Um, but Jacob, I, I want to kind of, before we get into the game itself and your thoughts the night before and how you guys prepared the week leading up to that game, um, you know, this almost didn't happen for you. Uh, at the time of that game, you were a 60 year senior, you're 24. Um, you know, you'd been through injuries, uh, you know, not everybody gets that sixth year. Um, so, so talk us through some of the, the struggles that, that you faced through your first six years of, of college. Cause I mean, the, the, the thing that we're going to talk about is basically your next to last game in a, in a, you know, 24 year career. Yep. So, so let's zoom out and, and cover <laughs> the first six years at Mercer, uh, before we really get into the Duke game. Sweet. Um, so I, I could obviously go on forever on on this stuff because there's so much that goes into it, especially with your emotion. But um, when you when you play basketball in high school, and once you kind of everyone gets to that point, uh, all the college players, everyone had a point in high school when they started to realize, hey, I might be good enough to do this thing at the next level. And um, between going to the gym, um, getting in the zone, putting up shots, like my mom worked at a YMCA, so I would go after school and I was in there every day. My dream was to play college basketball. Once you get older and you kind of realize the, you kind of get the lay of the land, um, your goals shift a little bit. You start to realize what you might be able to accomplish. Once I realized I might be able to play Division One ball, um, the whole recruitment process became a little bit, um, it gets hectic, but um, to say the least. And I, I, I had actually, my first injury was in high school. So I had a lot of schools recruiting me and a couple coaches telling me not to play football, but I, I, I took one year off. I had to watch my teammates play. I said, I can't do this anymore. So I joined again the following year and I wound up breaking my foot right off the bat. And I missed that whole junior year, which for those of you who are, are high school basketball fans, you know, that's kind of the prime time to get recruited. So my recruitment kind of got um, hindered throughout high school when I, when Mercer came back around after my, after I broke my foot and they gave me an opportunity and a scholarship. I said, I can't pass this up. I went down there, Thought it was awesome. Um, decided to decided to go to Mercer. Had a pretty good senior year, and then when I got down to Mercer, my injuries kind of plagued me for for quite a while. Um, I'll I'll keep that short. I had uh, I've had four foot surgeries and two knee surgeries. Um, some of the surgeries I've had, I've been so fortunate, um, both with successful surgery, but also with having a phenomenal trainer that I worked with. My time at Mercer, he's now the head trainer at North Carolina State, Rob Murphy. Um, he, my two knee surgeries were microfracture surgeries. Those are, those are surgeries that sometimes are, are career enders for a lot of basketball players. It's hard to jump and move when you got that going on. And I've had two of them and still moving on pretty well. So my, my first two years were plagued by those injuries and I was having to do, um, probably twice as much as far as time commitment. I was having to go to practice, go to class, do everything that a college athlete would, but then if you really want to commit yourself and get better and, and heal up, you're basically like I would come into practice two hours early and get going on my rehab with my trainer and doing extra workouts. Because once the team's workout started that I couldn't even participate in, I had to be there and be present for my teammates. I had to be there cheering them on and um, just kind of for all intents and purposes, you got to be a cheerleader on the sidelines and just kind of giving guys energy and making sure that they're all engaged um, that's kind of where my, my love for coaching came in. Cause I got to take a step back and watch the game from a different perspective. As a player, you get so caught up in, in the game that you getting to take a step back, I think actually made me a better player, even though I really couldn't play much. And I was having all these surgeries. Um, I had to sit and watch my teammates and see the mistakes. Some of them were making, I got to see my coaches. I saw some of the mistakes they were making, but I also saw the successes of my teammates and I saw the successes of my coaches and I was able to sit back and really get a feel for that. So by the time I got back um, 
and that whole two years in between was, I mean, I, if I didn't have my trainer, uh, Rob and some really, really good teammates and friends around me, I was ready to quit a bunch of times. Cause it just gets to be too much, um, with school and, and I was a thousand miles from home. And at the time I, I, it was, I didn't mind leaving, but then when all that stuff's going on, you always resort back to what's comfortable. And so there were times when I really wanted to give up on it and quit, but I had a really good support group and, um, people around me that were very motivating and keeping me in it, you know, telling me, Jake, this is, you're going to get through this. And, and so when I had finally made it through, um, I got back, I still wasn't quite healthy. My last surgery was a nine month recovery, um, done by Dr. Anderson in Charlotte, a really good foot specialist. And he, uh, he did, a, I won't go into too much detail on it, but he did a foot reconstruction on my left foot. And, um, it was the only thing that any doctors that I had seen had suggested that actually worked. Um, not that there were bad surgeries. Everyone who worked on my, um, my body has done a great job, but my, uh, my foot was messed up and Dr. Anderson tried a procedure that no one else really even thought to try and, uh, shifted some bones around. And, and after that recovery, that took me right to the start of my season. So after nine months of being out for a, a fifth surgery, um, I was kind of thrown right into the fire in games. And from that point forward, I was a reserve that first year. My third year was my red shirt, red shirt freshman year. And, uh, and I got thrown <laughs> you're, into the you're fire. You're a 20, 21-year-old freshman. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I got that a lot. You know, it was the, the dynamic in the locker room was funny because I was still a freshman, but I was also there for a lot longer than most of the guys that were. <laughs> um, but no, I, I once I got back, I actually never missed a game. And so... A lot of people don't know how college athletics works, but to get those years back, um, those red shirt years, you either have to not play at all or you have to have a medical excuse. And my trainer did a great job of compiling my medical history, and he applied to get me both of those years back. Um, and I had played in a couple games in between surgeries um, in each of those years. I think I played something like four one year and nine the next or something like that. But so in order, if you try to play and you, and it's unsuccessful and you need to, you're hurt again and, and you want that year of eligibility back, you've got to, you've got to basically make a good case for it. You file with the NCAA. I had to write some essays and try to get them to understand that I was a good student, that I was going to make the most of my time. Academically, I was, I was on track. I, I did my undergrad in three and a half years and my grad school in a year and a half. Took a bunch of, <laughs> took a bunch of fun classes in between, like guitar and some art classes. And I was just, school was never very difficult for me. So I took full advantage of that. And, and because of it, the NCAA was okay with giving me those two years back. And I wound up being the, uh, I think, second all time in games played in NCAA history because of those. <laughs> we had a couple postseason runs. Yeah. Not, not just in the NCAA tournament, but also in the CIT and NIT where we won multiple games. And then um, because of that, I just I played in a bunch of games, man. It was a long career. It was real long. <laughs> so I want to highlight a couple of things that you said. You know, one, you mentioned your love for coaching. And I think that's something I failed to mention in your, your bio. Um, we skipped straight to the story where you are now a, uh, an assistant coach at um, South Carolina Aiken, right? Yep. Okay. Yep. Um, and then, you know, you mentioned, um, you know, that at times the recovery process and the road to getting back was almost too much. Um, you know, something that you said stood out to me, you know, you, you, we always want to resort back to what's comfortable. That's just mm -hmm. kind of human nature. Yep. So, you know, how did you stay positive through that process? How did you, you know, keep moving forward? <laughs> well, there's, <laughs> ironically, I have a pretty different mindset on a lot of different things. Number one is love. I mean, I, I kind of love is my greatest motivator. It's my greatest um, source for energy. I just think that if you love something, if you love someone, if you love what you're doing, you're going to find a way to get it done. It's like a, um, when you think about the, the situations, the instances of the, the most amazing feats accomplished, like a you talk about like when a mother or a parent has like a moment of super strength when they're trying to save their child, um, where they did something unbelievable, you know, uh, someone gets run over and all of a sudden you got some guy lifts up a car to save someone, you know, instances like that where you're like, how did, how did they find that within them to, to save someone? Or I think that love at the very root of, of your motivation is what's going to be the strongest source for you. So that number one was definitely, um, kind of how you make it through, uh, some of that stuff. And I just think that you, you got to try to, 
to find that motivation, you've got to try to find what it is that's going to keep you going. And once you do, um, there's, there's great comedy and tragedy. If you have a good mindset, if you've got good people around you and you can, if at the end of the day, you can take a deep breath and say, it's going to be okay. And, and if you can find an appreciation uh, for, for what you do have and, and you lower your expectations, like I resort to, uh, gosh, it's an old book now and it's been a long time. I, um, Victor Frankl wrote a book, I think it's called man's search for meaning. And he, uh, in that book, he talks about, he's a Holocaust survivor. And so when you're able to put things in perspective, uh, by the end of the day, it, it, like I said, if you're able to take a deep breath, you know, breathe, say it's going to be okay. I can see the light at the end of the tunnel. I can see what it is I'm, I'm fighting for. You can have an appreciation for what you have because there are so many other people out there that, that aren't even close to as fortunate as you are. And I was in that situation. How, what, what could I complain about? I was hurt. I was struggling. It was emotional. But at the end of the day, I was on a full ride scholarship to a division one university, getting a great private school education in the grander scheme of things. And I come from humble beginnings. I didn't, my family didn't have money. My parents are both blue collar, bring your lunch pill to work kind of thing. And, and I, so for me, I didn't have much to complain about on a, on a, on a humanity level. So it was, it wasn't very difficult for me to find the comedy in all of it. You know, I, I would, I would, I would often laugh and I'd get with my trainer and I'd just say, Rob, man, I, it's just one thing after another keeps going wrong, man. What's going on? And he just kept saying, you know, this is going to be a, <laughs> this is going to make for a heck of a story someday. <laughs> well, so with all these injuries, was there something that like biomechanically you had going on that other people don't that led to all this? Was it, was it a combination of uh, biomechanics and uh, the usage. Uh, I wish I could blame it on that. <laughs> no, I, it's just, just bad luck or, or no, I, I think it's for anyone who's had serious injuries before. And by serious, I mean anywhere from, um, you know, probably two months onward because your body really takes a hit um, when you're out for that long. And I, I, when I had my first surgery in high school, um, I'm probably about to get myself in trouble by saying some of this, but that's, it's all, it's all right now. So when I was in high school, I had surgery. I broke my fifth metatarsal Jones fracture. A lot of people have had that. It's not an uncommon break, but the difference was, is I was really, really bad with my rehabilitation. I didn't, I, I was doing everything I was supposed to, but I was doing too much. I was too anxious. I wanted to get back when I was out. I had to watch my football team finish that year. And we, we had, been beat back to back in the state semis by the same team. It was miserable. Then basketball started. I missed the first, I think, 10 games, no, eight games. And our team was, was 0 and 8. And we were supposed to have one of the better teams in the state. I'm over here watching. So, of course, I'm pushing myself way too hard. Um, in retrospect, I probably hurt the team more because I was never able to fully recover. But my, my, the reason that I think I wound up having all these issues was be, it, it just stemmed from a bad first surgery. I think I had, I came back too early. I was, uh, uh, the day I got cleared to start jogging and, and getting like working my way back into shape to play, I played two days later. And so that's no one's fault, but my own, you know, I was taking pain pills and, and just trying to numb it up. And I, I it wasn't the right way to do it. And I think ultimately um, that same injury came back. I had issues with one, when you have a, a surgery at one part of your foot and then all of a sudden another part starts to hurt and you go in and look at it. It's like, well, you've got bone spurs and you're rubbing over here and everything starts getting, it's a chain reaction. You're especially in your feet. I think when something goes wrong with your foot, if it's not taken care of, you, you know, the muscles down there tighten up the ligaments in your feet and in your, in your ankles and in your calves and stuff all if you're not taking care of your body, it'll start to spread. So, of course, like they say, you know, my left foot starts hurting. I have these issues. Now, all of a sudden, my right knee is bothering me. Then I got low back stuff. Then my abs are bad. I had a, I had a hernia, too. I mean, and then all the way up the body. I mean, even in between those surgeries, I've torn both my labrums and my shoulders and just never had them operated on. I, I dislocated my shoulder at one point when my, when my trainer got the job at NC State and he left. Um, the following year, we were in transition between athletic trainers and I popped my shoulder back into the socket after dislocating it on my own at pickup one night. We were playing pickup in the gym. I didn't know what to do. I was hanging there. My shoulder was, 
I said, what the heck is going on? And I just found a, I could feel it with my thumb under my armpit and I slid it back into place. And that, that probably did some damage too. So <laughs> I was a little ignorant when it came to my injuries. And I think that that's probably why they got as bad as they did. Well, and you and I have talked uh, leading up to this show about the affinity that you have now for recovery and, and all of the different tools that we have at our disposal to, you know, uh, maintain our health and, and our mobility. Um, and I think obviously that's something that we can't appreciate until we have taken away from us. So I think, you know, it's probably something that you've gotten, gotten an appreciation for, you know, having gone down the road that you've gone down. But before we, we talk about some of your, your strategies and tools that you use, I, I do want to highlight something that you said, and this really fits into what we talked about on uh, last week's episode with Shane Stott, and where we talked about uh, habits and the compound effect. You know, you mentioned earlier, and we just kind of glossed over it, so I, wanted, I do want to pull it out and make sure our listeners hear this, but you said that you were, you were going in two hours early and spending an extra two hours a day through your rehab while you're at Mercer. And I think that this is something that, you know, no matter what you're trying, no matter what deficit we are trying to bring up, whether it's rehabbing from an injury or learning a second language or a third language, or, you know, if you want to start a side business and you find two hours a day to dedicate to that side hustle and whatever it is, you've got to build that habit into your life. And and like you said earlier, Jacob, if it's something that you love, if it's something that you care about, if it's a priority, you've got to find, you will find time uh, to make it happen. So, and I just want to highlight that, that you said, you know, two hours a day for as long as it took to get back to where you wanted to be. So uh, I, I think that speaks to, to where you were mentally and, and the dedication that you had, um, which is another reason that I think, you know, the, the culmination of this, the nine for nine against Duke and, and winning that game is such a cool story. But, um, so, so before we get move off of all of the, the rehab and the recovery, what are some of your favorite strategies that you've used, you know, with yourself now with your players that our listeners can implement into their life uh, for, you know, wh- whatever kind of physical rehab or, or recovery they might be interested in? Well, as a coach, I think one of the things you're constantly having to teach your players or when I was a player, one of the things you're constantly having to overcome is experience. So you everyone's to some extent a product of their own experience. And for me, um, I grew up, like I said, a pretty simple lifestyle, never had cable growing up and um, just little things that along the way that you see, I I saw how hard my parents worked um, with, with little to no avail financially and things like that, where when you, based on your experience, um, you will work at a much more, strenuous pace without it bothering you. Um, and so I think as a coach, trying to get people to understand the meaning of hard work and the meaning of diligence. And a lot of people are the type of people that are, you know, they, when they get free time, when you have a free weekend, you, people like to go to the beach and just lay around for some people. It's when I have time, I find solace in, in being busy. I find solace in, in being hard at work. I love right now. I'm, I just bought a house. I'm remodeling it with my dad and he's, he's one of the hardest working people I've ever met. And, and he's telling me what to do while I'm over here holding up planks and screwing them in. And, um, he was a, he was a builder at one point and he's, (laughs) he's getting kind of old now, but, um, I, uh, I have him down here with, with me in South Carolina and just to see, um, just having him near me as a, as a representation of, of what hard work was to me. Um, you kind of, it's kind of instilled in you from early on based on experience. And so for me as a coach, my job is to try to make some of my players understand that, look, if you can find solace, if you can find the peace in being busy and being diligent, if you can go to the gym and not think about, Oh man, I got to spend two hours doing something that's, that's barely going to help me. But that little bit, that extra little bit might just be enough to make the difference. That one night in the gym shooting free throws might have been just enough for me to to make all of them in that game. You never quite know what's going to give you that edge, what's going to give you that confidence. And so for me, it's trying to find relatable experiences um, that get you in the mindset, get you in the frame of mind to be able to work with what I call the ignorance of a child. So when you're a little kid and you're running around, you've got you you might throw a football for the first time 
or you might um, jump in the water, try to swim, whatever it is, you're going to fail. As a little kid, you've never done anything before. So the first few times you do it, you fail. But you don't sit there and, and go, woe is me, and you're whining about it. You're just a kid. So you just pick it right back up and you keep doing it. And before you know it, all of a sudden you can all of a sudden you can do it. And I think that if you approach anything that you want to accomplish, any goal you want to accomplish, Maria on your last podcast talked about um, not setting goals that are too or not having following dreams and goals that are too big because it's overwhelming. If you can find the step by step, the small dreams, the small goals, get lost in the process, you know, approach it with the ignorance of a child. You know, if you can take it one step at a time and just say, you know what? I'm just going to keep coming at this until it works out. I'm going to just keep finding different ways to approach this, different mindsets, different processes that are going to get me to the point I want to be at. And if you can approach anything you want to accomplish with the ignorance of a child, I just think that you're you're destined to figure it out at some point. It's going to come through. You're going to work it out. I'm smiling. I love that. I've got a, a friend who's a motivational speaker. His name is uh, Gio Doris. And uh, his. if you guys want to check him out, his Instagram or Twitter is at Gio Speaks. And when I had the gym, House of Strength, Gio wrote a guest blog post for us, and it was, uh, it was very much the same thing. I don't think he used the 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 phrase "the ignorance of a child," but but it was, you know, why failure is good, and, and he used the example of a child learning to walk. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you think about watching a, a toddler um, learn to crawl, learn to walk, and and if they failed if they fall 400 times before yeah. they successfully walk, they never stop. Yeah. It never even dawns on them to give up or quit. It's just, if, if as adults we can somehow not lose that, there's no limit to what we can do. And, yeah. and it's, it's really fascinating that, that what, it, what happens between childhood and adulthood where we lose that. <laughs> and I think if, if anybody could answer that question, they'd probably be like the richest person in the world. Yeah. Maybe they'd be called Tony <laughs> Robbins. I, I don't know, but they'd, they'd uh, be on the, they'd be on this podcast. Well, yeah. Um, <laughs> but, but I think it, that it's so fascinating and, and that is, it, it's a really interesting concept. And, and I think I love to watch kids for that very reason, because, you know, they're, when, when they're, whatever they're doing, they're, they're completely present. They're in the moment. They're enjoying whether it's you know flying a kite, running up and down a hill, or, or whatever it is. They're they're completely present in that moment. They're doing it for the fun of it. They love it, yeah. and uh, and and if they're trying to learn something new, they they just they keep going until they get it. And um, I think that's a great way to be. You may remember these commercials. I don't know, uh, but they were soccer commercials, and it was for um, oh man, the Brazilian guy. Um, uh, it was maybe it was Ronaldinho. Uh, yeah, but they, they yep. were they were the play beautiful commercials. Yes, Hoga Bonita. Yeah, exactly. so so the former athlete. You remember That's that? And exactly. It, it. And it showed him as a kid, like doing all this amazing stuff. I will find this YouTube video. So if you guys are listening, go to the <laughs> go to the blog post for this. I will embed this YouTube video. But they were Nike commercials, and yeah. they had videos of this soccer phenom as a kid, just having a ball. And then as a professional, he still played that way. Yep. And, and the, the thing was Hoga Bonita, which is play beautiful. And, and it had this announcer that he spun around in his chair at the end. And he was like, you know, when you're a kid, you do it because you love it. And he's like, never grow up, my friends, never grow yes, up, never grow up. I have a whole list of daily, um, <laughs> virtues, if you will. And one of them is, is, um, never grow up, stay a child. Cause I just, if you, the never quit attitude, everyone knows that, that not quitting is the way to go. Everyone knows that being persistent will equate to success. But what people aren't realizing is a, a child learning to walk, like you said, is it, they learn, but it's not, it's not just the fact that they keep trying. It's the fact that they keep trying and they're completely oblivious to what failure even means. It's, it's a, it's the mental approach to it too. If you can have a smile on your face and do it and not let that take you down not let that pull you away from what it is you're trying to accomplish, then you're going to have no problem. Just I'm just going to keep coming back at it. That's the way to do it. Well, and we may need to bring in a, a, an actual psychologist on this, but I would have to think that part of that has to do with the, the ego and, and the self. <laughs> and, you know, kids don't, don't necessarily understand that stuff yet. And, you yeah. know, as, as an adult, if I fail 10 times, 
at, at some new pursuit, you know, then my ego starts to kick in and it's like, oh, I'm not supposed to do this. I suck at it. I'm going to get on Facebook and complain about it. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and then, you know, as a kid, like that stuff never, that's not even, it's not, yeah, it's, yeah, it's just not there. Um, so it would be interesting. Uh, maybe I'll save that question for a future episode if we have a, a psychologist who can, who can uh, educate us on that. But um, all right. So Jacob, let's, let's get into uh, your shining moment, if you will. Um, so you guys had to, uh, obviously at, at Mercer, uh, you guys are not a major D one. You're not in one of the power conferences, quote unquote. So, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but you guys would have had to have won the conference tournament to get an automatic bid into the NCAA tournament, right? Yes, yes, we have to. There were there was talk at one point of, of teams making it. Once, some time while I was there, Belmont was a really good team. They went thirty and four one year. Right. And had they not won the conference tournament, they may have gotten an at large bid. Right. But even then, our conference was traditionally a weaker one, and so there's really not a chance to get in unless you win your conference tournament. Yeah. So, so just for the sake of our listeners, that you know, if if by chance they're not huge followers of March Madness and they don't understand or are not familiar with how you get into the tournament, uh, if you go, if you go, if you play for a school like a Duke uh, or one of those power schools that most people are familiar with, um, you know, you can you get invited to the tournament, and that's called what you said an at-large bid. Mm-hmm. For the smaller schools like the Mercers, the Belmonts, the the, the teams that are not in those power conferences, the only way to get into March Madness is to win your conference tournament. So mm-hmm. you guys had to go on a streak to win, what, four or five games in the conference tournament just to even be invited? And yeah. then, it and then, all right, go ahead. I was going to say it wound up being three because I think okay. we had a bye. But yeah, of the, of the 10 teams in our league, you have to come out on top. No matter how good your regular season was, when the conference tournament hits, you could be the best team in the conference all year long. But if you lose that first round, your, your, your chance of making the tournament are shot. All right. So you guys went on a three-game run. You won your conference tournament just to make it to March Madness, which, I mean, uh, let's set the stage for us. I mean, when, when you play at Mercer, every school, every team, you know, if I'm in the NFL and I play, whoever I play for at the beginning of the season, we, we've got goals, you know, and it's you know, win the division, make the playoffs, win the Super Bowl, whatever. What realistically going into the season at Mercer, you know, is is it enough to say, hey, we just want to get to the NCAA tournament? We want to win our conference tournament. We want to get to the NCAAs. Is that like, is that the ultimate goal? I can't say ultimate because when you see teams like Butler, who's also a mid-major school, or George Mason go to the Final Four, you know that it's within the realm of possibility. Um, But at the same time, you also – you're a realist as well. Like the last time Mercer had been to the NCAA tournament before that 13, 14 season uh, was 1985, you know? So this was the first time they, uh, that we even made the tournament, let alone won a game, which was never the first time we made the tournament uh, was 1985. So being able to come back after all that time and, and provide that community in that city with a trip to the NCAA tournament, which is huge. It means, exposure nationally that people have never seen before the amount of people that saw the highlights from that game or watched the game live you mercer all of a sudden became a name that people knew especially when and when uh kev canavari decided to nene all over espn um it, it grew a little notoriety in the in the youtube channels of the world well so then now okay so you guys you, you win the conference tournament you 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 guys, you cut down the nets, you made it to the tournament, you you know, it's this huge thing. And so this, this had to have happened before, you know, the way basketball works, your conference tournament probably ended before the ACC conference tournament ended. So you guys knew you were in for a few days before um, the selection process and all the matchups are announced for March Madness. So on that Sunday, when things are announced, <laughs> what goes through your head when you, when you see that Mercer is going to play Duke? Well, we had, Ryan, we were ready. I mean, we we knew we were ready for the NCAA tournament when we made it. We had been, it was three years in the making. My red shirt, red shirt sophomore year, um, the last three years of my season, we had seven seniors that all played together that last year. And we had, we had made 
the CIT, which is another postseason tournament with not quite as much notoriety as the NCAA tournament. We made that and we won the whole thing. We won five games straight and beat all the other schools that made it. Um, then the next year we made the NIT, which is National Invitational Tournament, and we beat Tennessee in the first round um, and then lost in the second round to BYU. We had been approaching a national stage for a while, but we kept getting upset in the conference tournament. We were that team that may have had a really, really good regular season, but then we couldn't quite finish it. If, if, when, if people recall that are basketball fans, the year before we beat Duke, Florida Gulf Coast went on this big run. Dunk City. Everyone remembers Dunk City. Well, that year was supposed to be our year. We won the conference in the regular season, and we beat them. Um, but come conference tournament time, they got hot. They beat us on our home floor, and so they got to go to the NCAA tournament. So for us, especially with this big – we had a group of seven seniors that coming into that last season – and, and for us, we knew what our goal was. We knew how attainable it was. We knew that we were probably the best team in the league. It was just up to us to prove it toward the end of the year. And so when we got there, which we expected to do because we had worked hard enough, our, our confidence levels were high, um, we didn't really care who we were going to play. We were so prepared mentally um, to get to that point, and we were so hungry, and we were so anxious to get there that it didn't really matter. Uh, Selection Sunday is a big thing ESPN does where they one by one release the seating for the tournament, and it's really dramatic. Um, there is some there is some uh, formula behind it, so you can kind of anticipate it. Like our coaches knew, um, our head coach, Coach Hoffman, had told us before that he thought it might be one of four or five different teams. Like we knew that within uh, probably four teams, we knew which, which ones we were going to be paired with. And in fact, before Selection Sunday even happened, he thought, mm, we might get paired in the Raleigh Invitational with Duke. Because Duke, because of their history, because of their following, um, they always have a favorable pairing. And rightfully so, they've earned it. And so Raleigh is right in their backyard. It's 30 minutes down the road. And so when Coach said that, we were like, okay, well, that'd be cool. And we also looked at it. We were matched. He thought we might play them. He thought we might pay, play Baylor. He thought we might play Creighton. Um, and when we were thinking about it as players, because of course that's all we do. Once we knew we were in, we were looking at all these teams, like who are we going to play? Who are we going to play? We're looking up rosters. We're watching film. Like, man, this is going to be awesome. And we knew that with Duke, we had a pretty good matchup. They were young. Jabari Parker was a freshman. Rodney Hood was a sophomore. I think those guys are both NBA players now. Um, and had they been older, it might've been a different story, but because of their youth, um, their most talented players were young. And we knew we had seven seniors that had all been playing together for, Six of us had played together for four years, and uh, and one of them was a junior college transfer um, who came in and, and played two years with us. So we, we had been together for a while. We knew how to play off of each other, whereas Jabari Parker was on – he was at the pinnacle of his freshman year with very high expectations, and he probably felt an extreme weight on his back to try to make something happen. And we had a great coaching staff, like I said, Coach Hoffman, um, Coach Eslick, Coach Wright, uh, Coach Nelp. Our whole staff was so prepared for the game. And the game plan they gave us worked phenomenally. And us as a cerebral group already, and with seven seniors, we, we were paired with Duke on that selection Sunday. And the moment we heard that name get called, we went berserk. I think there's, there's videos <laughs> of it somewhere. Our whole gym just erupted. We were running around like idiots because we knew that – no matter who we played, we'd be ready for them, and we had the experience to beat somebody. We had already beaten my time in my time at Mercer, at a small school. We had been kind of known as a giant killer. We had beat Alabama, Auburn, Ole Miss, um, golly, uh, Georgia Tech. Um, there were several high major schools that we had all knocked off before, so we knew we could do it. It just was a matter of finding out who it was going to be. So when right. we found out it was Duke, we're like, oh boy, this is great. Like we're, we, this is our shot now. So there's a lot in that answer, and, and I know the the setting for what we're talking about is college basketball, but for our listeners, I mean, what you just described can be applied to anything. So, I mean, basically, you guys in, in the military, they talk about preparing the battlefield. I mean, you guys watched tape, you studied, um, you know, all the things that you mentioned leading up to the preparation, you identified your opponent's weaknesses, which would be their inexperience which happened to match up perfectly with your strengths. So you're identifying your strengths, you're exploiting that stuff. Um, you know, you guys lean on your experience, you lean on um, that senior and veteran leadership. So, you know, I think the, the message here for our listeners is it doesn't have to be basketball, whatever it is that you're trying to do, whatever 
thing you're, you're pursuing, you know, look at, you know, how can you prepare yourself to go into that moment with as much preparation for success as possible? Know what to expect so that you're not caught off guard. There's as few surprises as possible. You know, know where your strengths are, know where your weaknesses are. Um, you know, I'm sure that you guys were, were ready to admit that maybe on an athleticism basis, somebody like Jabari Parker uh, is not somebody that you want to put in a one-on-one situation where, you know, his athleticism can be used as a strength for them. Mm-hmm. You know, so you guys, if, if this was a basketball podcast, we could talk about the X's and O's and the strategies that you guys use for that, but, but we'll, we'll spare our listeners. <laughs> um, yeah. So let's fast forward to the night before the game. Um, and this is something that my athletes ask me all the time. And I stress so much, and I really want to get your opinion on this and hear you weigh in because, you know, to me, I get texts from my athletes all the time. Like, oh man, tomorrow's a big game. What do I need to do tonight? Or, or tomorrow, like, what should I do tomorrow? And I'm like, dude, don't change anything. You train a certain way. You have these routines. Your body knows how to respond when, when you do things the same way. So change as little as possible. Be a creature of habit. Be a creature of routine. So I, I want to know, like, what did you do the night before? What's going through your head and, and, and leading up to like the day of the game? Well, I wish I could say I slept, but that, <laughs> that believe me, little side side note here, I'm a humongous advocate of, of sleep being a, a tool for healing and being prepared, uh, but there wasn't much sleep that night. <laughs> okay, so no, but that's perfect because, I mean, I think admitting that, you know, look, it's not the same, right? Mm-hmm. Like when you're in that moment, it really doesn't feel like any other, you guys played on a Friday, right? So like it's not any other game, night before a game. Yeah. So this is definitely this is definitely one of those things. And I'm glad we I'm glad that that the podcast was taken here. So the the whole idea of not changing anything, I think, is phenomenal. You can't you have to stick to routine. But I also find extreme value in being adaptable. So my in my routine, I was always very simple. Everyone has their own way of preparing for things, especially mentally, like players before a game all the way down to what music they listen to, how they stretch, whatever it is they do, how they pull their socks on, whatever it is. Um, everyone has their own thing. But I do, I just, I can't help but think that the people that perform the best on big stages, and there are millions of people that have done that before I hit a couple free throws. And I do think that most of those people probably were very, very adaptable. I think that you, when you are prepared, when you're prepared it gives you confidence. The fact that I shot millions of free throws in my lifetime up till that point, I was never going to second guess, am I going to make this or not? Now, if the person that was on the free throw line hadn't shot any for the, the three weeks leading up to it, or, or even if they had questioned one time, maybe they shot free throws every night, but one night they were sitting there going, oh man, I'm kind of tired. I might go see a movie instead of go to the gym. Well, that one moment might provide the doubt that's going to make you miss. So if you're prepared and you feel good about where you're at with your preparation, you should be fine. And like I said, I didn't sleep much. I, we wound up having uh, the game. It was a noon game. So it was already early. And Coach Hoffman, he's <laughs> well, we laugh about this now, but we weren't laughing at the time. We always had shooter on five or six hours before every game. But typically games are at 7 p.m. Right. Well, Coach Hoffman, man of routine. Um, got us up at 6 a.m. for shoot around. <laughs> we were like, Coach, we're about to play on national TV against one of the best teams in the history of college basketball. You got to let us sleep, man. <laughs> but, uh, you know what? Laying in bed, I was actually rooming with Anthony White, one of our seniors. And, like, I, I'm going to go back to the what we talked about with love, too. You, The preparation is obviously key to your confidence. Um, but then also, there's a there's a level of, of – um, Getting when you, when you talk about getting outside your comfort zone, I've always t- I tell my players and I've always been a believer in it myself. When you if you think that where you're at, if you think that what you're doing is helping you, and it, even if it's outside your comfort zone and it's difficult, find that spot outside your comfort zone and pitch a tent. Just stay there, sit down, and stay there and embrace it. And the more that you do that in your preparation, the more that it doesn't matter what else happens. It doesn't matter that I didn't sleep that night because. I had been through so many varying situations that I almost my routine was almost the fact that nothing was routine. That's that might sound stupid. And I don't really again, 
I'm not a sports psychologist, so I can't really give you the scientific reasons why that might take place. But for whatever reason, the fact that as a college athlete, you so rarely, your routines are so simple. We all have our own little things, but the way you pull your socks on is very, very, it's a very small routine compared to when you're dealing with class schedules, traveling, driving buses, meals, and all this stuff. It's never quite the same. You try to make it routine, but it's always changing. So the fact that you get used to curveball management. You never know what's going to happen and things are always changing. When you get really good at adapting, I just think that you're going to be ready. And so that night we didn't, me and Anthony stayed up talking till about three in the morning. And like, like, again, love comes into the picture there. When you love somebody, when you love your goal, when you love your purpose, you're going to fight even harder for them. That group of seniors we had, we loved each other, man. And, And so just you know, laying down that night, you know, waking up the next day, eating breakfast with these guys that, that we had been practicing with all year long, our, our level of love for each other. We knew that when we stepped on that court, we were all going to make that extra effort. You know, when you, if you look, if you're a very individual minded player or you're on a team of guys that don't really get along, no matter how talented you are, those guys, when it gets tough and, and, and you're on that big stage where everyone's looking you might look over and if you if you can look your teammate in the eyes and you know he's given you everything he's got, you're going to do the same for him. And not every team has that. And so I just think that, again, in the preparation and in the adaptability, it all comes down to that moment. If, if you are prepared both mentally and physically, you're going to be able to perform and not think twice about it. If you're thinking about performing, if you're thinking about being on that stage – you're probably not prepared. We weren't out on that court thinking, oh man, this is in front of a lot of people. <laughs> we just resort back to practice and we resort back to love. I mean, we we had a lead at one point in the game and and Suleiman, who I think plays for, he transferred to Maryland, I think, but he hit a couple threes, brought them back in it. We had been playing well and it's easy for a team to buckle. But again, you know, Coach Hoffman might call a timeout or, or we might just huddle up as players on the court and we have great, again, we had great leadership, seven seniors. And when you just look into each other's eyes and it's like, hey, let's get back on track. We got this. That support and that love for each other is what's going to is what's going to push you through that moment without having to think about all the pressures there. I never felt any pressure. And I that's that's not a credit to anything that I've done. That was a credit to our situation with our seniors and our team. For whatever reason it was, whatever it was, how prepared I was, how prepared our team was, um, how much support I had for my teammates and how much support I had for them. Um, it just never really came up. I was just playing the game and doing everything we practiced every day for, for six years that I was getting used to. It was nothing different, nothing new, just adapting to the new situation. So I think that's a beautiful answer. There's a lot of really cool stuff in there. Um, for the sake of time, I want to throw a couple other questions at you just to make sure we get these covered. Um, you know, so we mentioned earlier, you went nine for nine from the free throw line. I mean, that's that's a stellar statistic any night of the season, much less, you know, on the biggest stage of, of March Madness. You know, it's it's day two, round one. It's it's the day that I mean, what's what's the statistic on the workforce where like, you know, how many hours are lost in the American workforce because people stay home on that Thursday and Friday to watch? <laughs> um, it is it is something crazy. But. And, and that was one of the games. And, and that upset is why people watch. Yeah. Um, and, and so in this spotlight, when you have all these eyes on you and you're on the free throw line, you know, like I, I know you've already said that, that you put into practice, you've been prepared. Um, what, what can you do in practice that ups your focus in practice or, or kind of puts that pressure to simulate that pressure situation in practice so that we're used to not just going through that motion of whatever it is, whether it's free throws or, you know, archery or, or public speaking, you know, anything where you're practicing, how do you, how do you recreate that pressure situation in practice? Well, it's, it's about, it's about holding the standard high. It's about, you know, when I shoot free throws, I could walk out of my, my, graduate classes uh, my fifth year there go to the gym in my flip-flops and toss a couple free throws up or I could go in there I could um, get myself prepared lace up my shoes fully change even though I'm not doing a whole workout whatever it is I go in there and I treat those free throws like they're the most important part of my entire day and you live in that moment 
it's going to help you progress more. A lot of coaches are, will preach, and you, you'll hear in college athletics about practicing full speed, practicing game speed. Most of that is because it's hard to replicate a game. It's hard to replicate, not, not just physically. I mean, everyone can, hey, I could walk outside right now and sprint for 10 seconds and simulate the quote-unquote speed of a full speed game. Um, but the mental part of it is is hard to simulate. So the, the, the higher standard that you hold yourself to in practice um, from a mental standpoint is really important. Every time I shot free throws, um, the thought that goes through my head is every shot's a game winner. I did that with my little brother. My little brother is a sophomore right now at Ohio University. Him and I have been huge motivators for each other, and he's dealing with some injuries himself. Um, so shout out to him going through some of the same stuff I did, and uh, hopefully I've provided enough um, perspective and strength for him to get through that. He's he's going to be a lot better than I was. Um, but he, uh, we would when I was helping him my 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 first year of coaching, I went back home and coached at a, a Division three school. And in my hometown, and we had a great season as when I was coaching, but I, I got to work with my little brother and we would constantly, um, when we were working out, we'd be shooting. And when you shoot 500 shots, it sounds completely ridiculous to think you got to treat everyone like it's a game winner. You got to treat everyone like it's the biggest shot of your life. But we did. And, and he'd shoot and it'd be like, we'd go up the left side and he'd be shooting step back jump shots, um, working on some specific skill. And every single time he'd shoot or every other time I'd remind him, hey, this every shot counts. Every shot matters. You got to make it. Don't be OK with a miss. Not not saying that you'll never miss, you know, because you have to have a perspective that you're not going to be perfect. But at the same time, if you treat every single shot, if you treat every rep from the from the for the for people who aren't athletes that are listening to this podcast, for people that aren't basketball players, it's just in everything that you do, if you pursue perfection, the sheer pursuit of it is what's going to help you achieve at a higher level. It's not that you need to be perfect. If you think that that's the case, you're going to drive yourself crazy. But if you if you at least pursue it with with a great effort, I think that you'll land somewhere um, at, in a place mentally that makes you more prepared, makes you more ready for that moment. And just every every shot counts, man. Every shot counts. So I. Uh- I love that. I think it's it's great. Uh, the one thing that I will add is, you know, you kind of touched on it where the focus shouldn't be on the outcome. The focus should be on the action. You know, it, you're, you're treating the actual shot, the, the form yeah. and, and the elevation. So it's not like, like, you know, I, I grew up playing basketball, so I know what it's like to go out and just kind of lazily shoot a jump shot and not elevate the way you would in a game situation. So when you say, game speed or practice like it's in a game. That's what we're talking about in a basketball sense. But if you translate that to whatever our listeners are going to be doing, um, you know, you've got to do it like you're doing it for real. And, and, you know, when that way, when you do it for real, you've done it thousands and thousands of times, it's automatic and, and you're not. So in the moment, whether it's golf or basketball, baseball, work, speaking, whatever it is, if you're thinking about mechanics of what you're doing, you're not present. You're not in the moment like those child, you know, the children that we talked about earlier, and you're not going to perform at your best. So, you know, like Tiger Woods on the 18th hole uh, at a you know major when he was Tiger Woods, not now, <laughs> because now he's thinking about the mechanics of his swing. In yeah. 2000, it, 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 that wasn't an option. It was just do what you do. And I, I think that's a great point. So in practice, uh, and in everything that we do, if we focus on the action. So if, if your goal is weight loss, you know the actions that you need to take to lead you to the outcome that you want, whether it's uh, it's doing the food prep that you need to do. Well, I can't do food prep if I haven't gone to the grocery store and yeah. bought the right foods. Um, you know, So it's not, man, I really hope that at the end of this month, I get on the scale and it says I'm down 30 pounds or 10 pounds or yeah. five pounds. No, you don't. That's the outcome. Don't focus on that. You focus on all right, look, I know I need to go to the store. I need to buy the right foods. I know I need to have them prepared or have them on hand when I'm going to be hungry or when it's time to eat. And if you take care of those actions, then the outcomes will happen and will take care of themselves. So, um, Jacob, I think that's all great. Uh, it's almost been an hour, so we got to wrap this up. Uh, first of all, thank you for, for sharing this with us. This has been a blast. Um, Let's wrap up the story for, for our listeners. You guys won that game. It was great. <laughs> I do want to, to highlight one thing earlier where you're, you're mentioning now, you're talking in hindsight about the love that you guys had and, and that camaraderie that you had as a team. Um, you know, that's something that when, when we went through SEAL Fit training uh, back in 2012, mm-hmm. you know, one of the, the SEALs that, that was really helping us 
with the preparation side of that, you know, their, their goal is not to look out for themselves. You know, your goal as any member of a team is to watch the back of every other person there. So we had a, we had a crew of seven guys and, you know, my job was to watch out for the other six guys. Yep. So if I, as an individual, I'm only watching out for myself, then I have two eyes or, or one person looking out for me. But if I use their approach, then every single person has six other guys watching their back, 12 eyes. Uh, you're a much stronger unit and you're, 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 the things that you can go through are, are infinitely higher compared to just having to do it by yourself. And I think, you know, you say this now, but there's something that I want to point out to our listeners that you said in an interview in that Washington Post article, you know, where, you know, they gave you credit for, for stopping Jabari Parker. And you said, no, it wasn't me. It wasn't I. It was we. And for somebody in the moment, like, I mean, you, you had to have been interviewed on the court yeah. after the game. Yeah. And in the moment to be able to stop and say, no, it wasn't me. It was a we thing. You know, you guys really did embody that. And I think that's really cool. So, um, you know, congratulations on all that. I'm really glad you guys got to experience that. Um, the run, obviously, you guys didn't quite make it to the final four. <laughs> Would have been nice, Ryan. Would have been nice. <laughs> um, so, you know, Jacob, we we haven't really gotten into, you know, this next chapter of your life. But, you know, we, we talked about it a little bit. You are uh, you're coaching at USC Aiken and, you know, you're, you're doing some personal training. You're helping a lot of other young men. Uh, along their journey so that they can have success, you know, similar to the way that you have. What are, so, so before we ask you your top three, where can our listeners get more of you? Um, well, I, I can't give myself too much of a plug just yet. <laughs> I've got basically got, you can follow me on Twitter and our social media stuff. I think on all of my social media accounts, it's either my name, Jacob Gollin, J-A-K-O-B-G-O-L-L-O-N, or it's um, Coach Gollin. Um, I, I provide, I like to retweet and post a lot of stuff. That's one inspirational, motivating, um, optimizing, you know, things that are going to, that are going to make your life a little bit better. And that's one of the reasons I've, I've kind of fallen in love with this podcast and with what you guys are doing, Ryan. And I just think that, um, you can go ahead and try to follow me on that, but I, I do want Ryan, before we get off the podcast, I know I've talked a lot about myself. Um, I think that if I can say any one thing that's going to be helpful to the to the people that are listening to this, completely unrelated to athletics, you talked about the love I had for my teammates. The people you have around you become so important. Um, for example, right now, one of the big things that I'm doing and that I do with my team, um, you you've got you can't be too cool for doing the right thing. And my one of my buddies, Matt Weber, who's a strength coach himself, um, and and he's back in Wisconsin working with some stuff, and I do this with all the players I train. Um, both at USC Aiken and some of the personal training I do. Um, but we have little group chats, little text message chats that, um, like Matt, my buddy Matt Weber says, um, he calls it the culture of choice. And we have a little group chat with me and my little brother and him and some other people that, and my sister. And um, we just say, just it, it, the whole group chat is reserved for positive thoughts, encouragement, and things that, that are uplifting and helping people. Um, so I encourage you, find your support group, find the people who are motivating you the most, find the people that have um, not just like-minded goals, because you need people that can tell you no as well, but find the people that are looking out for the for your own good. Find the people that love you and find the people that you love. And to you take that, take advantage of that. You know, put start a group chat, start making more phone calls to those people, talk with those people, bounce ideas off of them support each other. I just think that that's so important. And we kind of get lost in that now because we're so spread thin with social media and um, there's a lot of good information. But if you don't focus on the people that are going to help you the most or the things like different podcasts and information, if you don't narrow it down to the things that are going to help you the most, um, you're it's going to be information overload and you're not going to be getting the same support you really need. So I think that's one thing. Just find a find your support group and really, really hold on to that. I love it. That's awesome, man. So um, for you guys listening, we will put links to all of Jacob's social media uh, uh, handles and, and accounts on the blog post for this. So again, go to naturalstacks.com. You'll be able to see it. Jacob, um, you do have to answer the question that every guest has to answer, your top three <laughs> tips to live optimal. If you want, I will allow you to count the group text support <laughs> thing as your first one because that was awesome. I, I think that, that falls under the umbrella of a tip to live optimal. So if you want to count it, you can. If you want to give us three other ones, you can do that too. Let's 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 do this. Let's call that number one. Um, 
I'll just call that the people around you. Um, I just think that you got to let the right people in. And I, I've heard that before from other people on your podcast, so I don't want to steal theirs, but that's definitely. You gave us an actionable way to do it that no one ever has. So that's by far one of the most, one of the biggest things, culture of choice, man. You got to have the right people around you. I love it. Um, number two, I think it's um, find, uh, you've, you've got to find solace in in hard work. You've got to find, you've got to find um, the peace in routine. Um, it's it, none of it's ever quote unquote easy to do the right things. Like for me as a, when I got hurt, um, to, to be rolling out and grinding a lacrosse ball into the bottom of my surgically repaired foot, just to tear up some scar tissue. It wasn't quote unquote fun, but when you can get lost in that zone, we didn't even talk about flow state, um, during the podcast, but that's another huge thing that, um, is very integral to, to an athlete's success. Just getting in the zone, realizing what the end goal is, and ha- approaching it with the ignorance of a child. Um, just, just finding a way, finding the beauty, and finding the the um, the happiness in the routine and in the diligence. Stay diligent, work hard. All right, I'm going to pause you for one second. So, for our listeners, we do have a flow state dedicated podcast coming up. Um, so it'll be down the road a little bit. I can't tell you who or when, um, <laughs> but stay on the lookout for that. Um, yeah. But before we let you off of that topic, I do want to ask you, let's, let's get as many great tips as we can from you. So, <laughs> so flow state, give us one tip that always helped you get into the zone or the flow state that our listeners could use. Um, well, there's two different approaches, physically and mentally. I'm a huge, I, I love, I'm a, I'm a Wim Hof fan. I love breathing techniques. I love mental preparation with stuff like that. I think that getting in the zone mentally is one huge way. My girlfriend, Jamie, love you, Jamie. Shout out. Probably should have shouted you out earlier, but sorry. <laughs> she's a yoga, uh, she's certified to teach yoga. Um, and so I love doing stuff with her to get mentally prepared, um, with, with her routines and whatnot. And, um, I think that's one approach uh, to get yourself, get your mind right. Um, but then another way is, like I said um, a little bit before, is just continuing, continually re- uh, having doing repetitions that are going to be quote unquote game like for an athlete. But approaching everything you do with a with a fervor and, a, and an intensity and a passion um, and a love uh, that is uh, of uh, the highest level. If you just do everything you do to the best of your ability. Um, I just think that you will find yourself like they say, man, time goes fast when you're having fun. And when you're in that flow state, when you find yourself going as hard as you can and as hard as you possibly can do it um, with love and passion, you'll you'll come to three hours later. And be like, Holy cow, I've just been working on this forever. <laughs> I, just, I was in this flow state. I don't even know how I got there. Yeah. But I just the, the, the more passionate you are about something. Don't be fearless, man. Just dive into it. If it scares you a little bit, if you know it's good for you and it scares you a little bit, just do it. You got to jump right in. You got to attack it. You can't have any sort of fear. You've got to you've got to be okay with the outcome because if you know it's going to help you or you know it's good for you, just dive right in and you'll find yourself in that flow state and that flow zone. Awesome. All right. Last tip to live optimal. <laughs> you got to You've got to you've got to buy natural stacks. <laughs> no, I can't give you guys I can't give you guys that hard of a plug. No, but really, I, that that's definitely my third one is is going to be um, diet and and fitness. I I just recently I kind of quote unquote ate healthy in college um, once I had my injuries because I wanted to come back, but I didn't quite understand the magnitude of of what eating healthy could do for your body. Right. Um, and at the time, um, I still wasn't eating as healthy as I try to now. Um, but between sleep and diet, I just think that taking care of your body and trying to put good things in your body, they're going to be helpful, um, really, really sets you up for success. It's, it's insane how many people I look at and I hear them complaining about this and that, and I try to be a positive voice for them. But I also sometimes leave conversations going, well, you're, you're hurting yourself right now. You know, I, you're, you're, if, if you would have, and it's not everyone's fault individually, but if they would have better support groups or if they had other people around them who were, um, providing support and, and ideas and tips that would help them. Um, I just can't help but think that the healthier you are um, with your body and, and the more you take care of your, your mind and your, and your body, you're going to be um, more, more inclined to have success in other parts of your life. And so I definitely think number three has got to be uh, nutrition and fitness. You know, find, find some points during your day to get out and go for a run, get yourself up to full speed, go hard, 
Um, but then also make good choices daily with your diet. I just think it's, it's, it's one of the best decisions I ever made to try to start eating healthy. It was scary at first. Cause I didn't know what the heck I was doing and I still don't. I listen to the podcast and every time I do, I'm like, Oh geez, man, I've been doing it all wrong. <laughs> but, but that's, I think that's such an important thing to, to talk to beginners about people who are trying to get into this. And it's like, um, you know, you can't let not having all the answers prevent you from getting started. Right. And, you know, we all started somewhere. I mean, I think back to when I was in college and I first started eating healthy. I mean, I remember like I I kept a notebook and I was eating a 2000 calorie a day diet. And and I look back and I'm like, God, it was awful. But at least I was being aware. Yeah. I was making better choices. And and I was I was thinking about things. I was putting thought and energy and effort into it. I was keeping a food log and it only got better from there. You know, you don't I, I didn't eat on day one, the way I eat now. And nobody, right. nobody does or did. You just, you start where you are and you just continue to learn and move forward and make progress. 20 years from now, we might be, we might look back and think some of what we're doing now is like, oh geez, we didn't quite know everything about that. But it's, it's definitely the, like you said, being aware and trying to move forward toward that positive direction that's going to help you out. So the Jacob Gollin podcast was all about raising the bar, <laughs> having high standards the people you surround yourself with, the, the choices that you make in terms of foods that you put into your body, how you, uh, how you prepare, how you do things. I thought of a quote earlier when you were talking, and I don't know if this is from Buddha or somebody, but it's you know, how you do anything is how you do everything. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I, we got off on another topic or tangent when you finished speaking, <laughs> but I, I'm, I'm glad I remembered to say that now. And, yeah. um, Jacob, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for, for sharing your story and, and your time with us. For you guys listening, uh, make sure you go to naturalstacks.com to see the blog post uh, for this podcast where we will include links. Um, we'll find this YouTube uh, video of Jacob's teammate doing the nene uh, <laughs> all over ESPN. We'll have the, uh, the, the Hoga Bonita videos. Uh, all, all these cool resources will be on the blog post for you guys. Um, and uh, make sure you go to iTunes, leave us a five-star review, let us know how much you like the show. If we read your review on the air, we will send you some free Natural Stacks products. And if you like the OPP, please share it with your friends and family so that we can help more people uh, live optimal and, and take their life in the direction that we all want to go. Uh, Jacob, thanks a lot, man. This has been a blast. Right, man. I really appreciate it, man. <laughs>